Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I am John Agroni. I'm the box office columnist for Adam Tickets, head writer of Cinemaholics.com, and I write books sometimes. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for Cinemaholics. It's Will Ashen. Hello, hello. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. Write into the show anytime by emailing us. Our email, as always, is cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And if you're interested in becoming one of our monthly patrons, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemaholics to learn about all of our tiers, all the fun ways you can donate. Got a big episode for you all. Uh, Hopefully it doesn't go by too fast because we're going to be talking about Mm -hmm. Sonic the Hedgehog and uh, maybe we'll slow things down with the photograph. But then I think it's all going to go downhill from there. Uh, Right. To all the boys, P.S. I still love you. And... There's a few things I want to get to, Will. Before we get into the movies we saw, let, let's quickly address some of the films we're not going to go too in-depth on this okay. week. There was another wide release, kind of a yeah. kind of a glaring wide, wide release. release. Did, didn't screen for critics. It sure. eventually was reviewed by critics, though, and that is Fantasy Island. And yeah, you and I didn't watch this one. Um, how come you didn't uh, trek to uh, check this one out? Were you uh, scared? Um, no, I wasn't scared. <laughs> Uh, it was, well, for one, we're recording this a little earlier than we usually do. And, uh, two, it didn't have Thursday night screenings, so I could only see it on Friday and that's when I was seeing Sonic the Hedgehog. So I right. had no opportunity for Valentine's day. Right. So yeah, that's the reason why I didn't see it. Yeah. Basically the same here. This is, it's weird because it's a new Blumhouse production. So I was expecting it to have a little bit more of a splash, I guess. And although uh, Sony was doing this one, not Universal, which I was surprised to see. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. Uh, critics do not like Fantasy Island. Critics do not like Fantasy Island one bit. It's like a very low budget, $7 million film. And I've, I've just seen nothing but just really rough ratings. 10% on Rotten Tomatoes out of 42 reviews. Cinema score is a C minus. And yeah, this is this is just bad. But it's making money i think like enough to overcome its budget so it's not yet again blumhouse did not make a box office lot they're pretty good about that so yeah i I guess that's all i have to say about fantasy island because i thought the trailer was intriguing and i think we brought it up in our winter preview but this one just did not pan out whatsoever it seems like yeah i mean i I never bet on jeff wadlow i think i've been burnt too many times where he's had like a semi-decent premise and he just throw just just doesn't do anything good with it, uh, like Kick-Ass 2 or mm-hmm. Truth, Truth or Dare, Dare. Or never, uh, never, never back, back down. down. So I was like, I have no hope for this. Like, I thought the premise was yeah. kind of cool, but when I found out he was involved, I was like, it's going to suck. And sure enough, it sucked, I guess. It, it seems that we don't know. We don't know. But if we're, if we're to trust our esteemed colleagues, that would appear to be the case for sure. But that's Fantasy Island. Uh, we, we're not going to talk about that one. We'll probably talk more about Emma next week because next week is actually kind of a pale release schedule. We don't have uh, like a big cross-sectional wide release. We have like The Call of the Wild, which you've already seen, but you're embargoed on. This mm-hmm. other movie, which hits limited release, I can't wait to see. And I hope we can talk in depth next week. But that film is called Emma, period. And mm-hmm. um, that's just the stylized period. It's not period spelled out. And I really want to see this one because it's from Autumn to Wild and it stars Anya Taylor-Joy and it looks wonderful. And well, you've already seen it. Do you want to give like a little sneak yeah. preview? Uh, is, am I right to be excited? 
yeah, it's a good film. Um, I don't know how much I can give away, but I'll just say that Anya Taylor-Joy is just sublime in this movie. And I think this might be my favorite performance from her so far, which is saying a lot. Wow. Uh, and I'm pretty excited for you to see it. It's a nice looking movie. It's very nice altogether. And I think you'll have a good time. It'll be hard for me to take this film over Thoroughbreds when it comes to her performances, but I'm sure I'll enjoy this much more than like Glass and Split and all that. But uh, The Witch, yeah, I think right now is the film I, I guess most people know her pretty well for, right? And maybe uh, New, New Mutants, Mutants comes out <laughs> and takes us all by surprise. But yeah, I can't wait to talk about Emma. I, I'm very bummed I wasn't able to see that one. I will be seeing the new Pixar movie Onward next week. Uh, unfortunately, okay. I will be embargoed, so I don't know how much I'll be able to say exactly. I, I might just be able to give a little tease of like general you know like a, i think the social media embargo will be up next week i'm not sure but yeah it's gonna be a, gonna be a fun week of screenings but this has been sort of a relaxed february in terms of the releases i want to say like we have sonic and birds of prey but that's it like there's no other like big blockbusters coming out and i think that's fine because we have portrait of a lady on fire which started its limited release want to quickly shot that one out portrait lady on a, a portrait of a lady on fire one of my favorite films of 2019 finally is getting a wider release it took long enough and well i think you said you're gonna be able to see this one in about two weeks seems like it yeah it doesn't come out around here until the 28th i think they had special screenings for it on wednesday night but i was seeing downhill that night so i didn't get a chance to see it then all right. Well, we will talk about it when you see it. Uh, I have been itching to see it again, so I, hopefully we can have a very, very fruitful discussion about that film. It is extremely important to cinema, at least as far as I'm concerned. But that's that's all the films we are going to talk about. <laughs> Let's actually get into our real reviews. Let's talk about Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm Sonic, a little ball of super energy in an extremely handsome package. On my planet, people were always after my powers. So I came to yours. It gets a little lonely, but that's okay. I am living my best life on Earth. What? Ow! the plate Sonic. Let the bitches mount also Sonic. Ugh, I can't with that guy. This film, wow, has such a storied past of its production. Uh, this is the directorial debut of Jeff Fowler, who I guess, uh, how, what would people really know him for? They, they wouldn't know him for a short film, right? I mean, uh, he's a visual I mean, effects artist. He's done right. a lot of work for the, like, uh, what's, what's, what's something he's done for visual well, effects? Well, doesn't he work for, did he, for the didn't he come up the ranks to, maybe, didn't he come up through the ranks with Blur, which is um, Tim Miller's studio? Um, I don't know that for sure, actually, but... I mean, yeah. that's what I thought was the case because I know Tim, Miller Tim Miller's an executive producer for this, right. but I I don't know if that's where they met up to be honest with you. So okay, yeah, the, the only film I'm aware of with uh, for this guy is I know he was an actor at one point for a show, and yeah, he worked on where the wild things are, but I don't know if he's done anything else since. That was 11 years ago, so kind of crazy. I don't know what's uh. I don't know what decision making went into that, like how they decided this is the guy who's going to direct our Sonic movie, because this is another video game adaptation. It's kind of in the same playground as Detective Pikachu in a lot of ways. Uh, this screenplay comes from Pat Casey and Josh Miller. Ben Schwartz, who you might uh, remember from Parks and Recreation, is his most famous role, but he's he's popped up in some indie movies here and there, and you know he's becoming more and more like I'd say recognized uh, uh, just on television, but not as much on the big screen. And so 
I think the big acting ticket here is Jim Carrey. He plays the big villain, Dr. Robotnik. James Marsden plays the animated creature driver as always uh, this, this is kind of just up uh as i said, said up hop <laughs> all over again uh tika sumter is his wife adam polly uh well i i don't know where to even start with this movie it's paramount paramount's trying to launch a new blockbuster they released famously or infamously this trailer for this movie a year ago and it did not go over well the Sonic design was widely and wildly hated. Uh, It was very creepy. He had teeth and stuff and small eyes. And they redid it. They made him cuter, more compact. It seems like the rest of the movie was still intact, though. And they just decided for Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie, they were going to do this sort of like gentle 90s road trip comedy and kind of call it a day off of that. Like, it's really, there's not much else to it. So, as I crashed into the cold, dark water of the Pacific, I realized a few things. A, I have no idea where I'm going. B, saltwater stings. C, I shouldn't even be on this planet right now, but I am. Why? Because you shot me. I know. You shot me! All right, I heard you the first time. You don't have to pile it on, good grief. I'm wet, I'm cold, there's a fish on my head, And clearly, I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. All right, get in the truck. Really? You're going to help me? I guess it is a little bit my fault that all this is happening to you. Not a little bit. Entirely. It is entirely your fault. It's entirely my fault. Are you coming? Yes. Road trip! Whoop, whoop! What am I doing? What what do you think? Do you do you like Sonic the Hedgehog? Did this uh did this hit your speed? Um well, I mean, I know going into this or at least the months leading up to it, I was definitely pretty critical of the film mainly based on the original design which to their credit they did change, but I mean, just the idea of like making a Sonic movie now seemed kind of weird. Like it seemed like this is something they should have capitalized on like the early 2000s and definitely the way Absolutely. that the trailer was uh, playing out felt very much like a film from another era, another time, like when we were younger. Uh, and I think that's going to play at some people's advantage. And to some extent, it did to me as well. I mean, there's a lot of charm here. And I think it is a generally amusing film. Like, I wasn't ever bored watching it. I was pretty engaged throughout. There's enough. I mean, it moves at such a fast pace that it's you're pretty much able to not really be <laughs> bored by anything at any point. But um, I think it's one of those movies where, for me, it's like close to decent. And it's like most of the components are there to make this work, but the script isn't. And the script is like just such a generic, like bottom the barrel, like run of the mill family movie with a popular character that um, any chance this movie has to be pretty unique and fun gets hindered by a pretty clunky and lame script that throws out a lot of hit and miss jokes, probably more miss and hit. And uh, like you said, just a kind of conventional story plot with a lot of like contrivances as far as and in tropes, as far as how it gets to where it needs to go. And I mean, for me, just it felt very written to me in a way that a lot of movies aren't like I was very aware of the script throughout. Like I wasn't able to just watch this as a movie. I kept thinking about like how a movie was set up, like how the writers are planning it out. Like this is like the joke segment. This is where we have like this kind of fun scene. This is where we rip off X-Men Days of Future Past and uh, all these different elements. And I mean, for me, it felt a little cynical in that regard. 
and I think that prevented me from enjoying it in full. But I will admit that I like this more than I anticipated going in. And I think have if they do end up making a sequel, which seems more likely than not at this point, I'm pretty game for it because if they just let Sonic be Sonic, which is where I think the movie often excels, I, I could see this being a lot of fun as a property. And I do think those moments tend to work for me more than not, where they just don't really try to like establish anything or have like different plot mechanics. It's just like Sonic basically being like a rambunctious 12 year old kid, uh, basically like Dash from The Incredibles as a blue hedgehog. Uh, I think those moments are a lot of fun, particularly like Jerry game segments where he's just like playing off himself. I really enjoyed, but I I feel like there's a lot here that I like, but ultimately there's just not enough for me to say it's even decent, just pretty much better than mediocre, but not by much. I think you're burying the lead, Will Ash, and you forgot to tell the listeners that you're the one video game that oh, you yeah. have context on for a movie review. Well, not you the actually only played... one. Well, it's the only yeah, one I mean, not the only since one, but... the beginning of Cinemaholics, I want to say. Uh, sure. I mean, I I mean, I mean, do know Pokemon, so I knew Detective Pikachu and stuff. I didn't I didn't know that game specifically, but I knew those characters. But... Yeah, you didn't know the game. I think there's a big difference. Until they make sure. a Mario Party movie, I think oh, this is going to well. be the only... <laughs> the only video game movie you're going to be able to say, yeah, I played that when I was a kid. Well, I mean, if they ever make Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3, not any of the other Tony Hawk Pro Skaters, just 3. Oh, what, uh, what a bummer. Dollar. I, I, can, I can tell you all about the ins and outs of that movie as far as its game yeah. is concerned. But yeah, it's unfortunately in that, in that respect. Yeah, Pro Skater 2 is the one they decided to go with. So you're, yeah, you're out of luck. That makes uh, sense. Yeah, this movie is, I think in some respects, they nailed it. They made, I think they listened to their market research and they just, they gave the Sonic fans the sort of bad movie that would appease them, I guess, because I don't know about you. I went to this movie and I think there was an, there was an audience. They were sure. very vocal. They were very into it. There was clapping. Uh, it reminded me of star Wars, the force awakens of like when the Sonic title card came up, people flipped. And during the credits, <laughs> people were standing and pointing at the screen and like talking to each other. It was a weird religious moment. And that's not me. I, I, I've loved Sonic growing up. I watched the, the kids shows. I watched, you know, the, all the different like little OSTs on YouTube and I played the games. Uh, I played more of the 3D games than the 2D games, like the more modern, you know, like Sonic adventure games. I love Sonic. It's a cool, cool character, cool customer, but I never found the lore of Sonic very interesting. And this movie gets really close to having enough of a don't take me seriously vibe that i almost got got it but too much of it is trying to be like this is a real movie and then they they flip over to like actually none of this matters like there is this this movie goes back and forth where some scenes feel like they were placed in or replaced to be like okay this is getting a little too like stern and this is getting a little bit too like we think this movie is more than something that it really is. Um, I'm one for example, scene is this this government military guy trying to convince his peers that they need Dr. Robotnik to be the person who investigates this alien phenomenon that has happened. And while you're watching it, you're like, yeah, this this is the kind of like sitcom Looney Tunes energy this movie needs. But then you have James Marsden and Tika Sumter talking about how he's going to go be a cop in San Francisco. And you're like, 
is it 1996? Like, it's it's this very strange throwback to 90s and early 2000s films that I just, I don't know, there's, there's something about it that I think does kind of work, but I think that's what makes it even more tragic is that it works enough to make you care. <laughs> and if you care while watching this movie, I think you're going to have a hard time. There's only one one thing in this movie in terms of the writing that I just could not accept. I couldn't just throw it away and just be like, all right, yeah, but that's a Sonic movie, whatever. Let it happen. The whole idea that Sonic the Hedgehog can't use a map or a GPS to get to San Francisco, which is probably the most the, the easiest city to find on a map because it's literally a bay. It's a huge bay you can see from like space. And I'm just like baffled by like Sonic needs to be driven. And it's almost like uh, and one version of the film, like, is he doing this on purpose? Is it because he wants to spend more time with this human character? I don't it know. It kind of is. It kind of is. I mean, he's established that he wants to make a friend. So true. But yeah. is he is he purposely prolonging the road trip to make this happen? That was something that it just wasn't clicking yeah, for me. And if I that's the that. case, why wouldn't they reckon with it? I don't know. It, there's a lot of weird stuff in this movie. For right. some reason, that oh, for was sure. the one I was hung up on. I mean, I think I was more hung up on his like re- point of reference for pop culture things, even though he's like basically a hermit in a cave with no TV or phone or anything. But he knows like what flossing is. And he knows what Uber is. And he knows, See, that like, makes sense other. to me. That makes a lot of sense to me, because if he's alone, he's absorbing pop culture all the time. I wanted more of that. He's watching movies. But he's only, like, but his point of reference is like, but he's like, there's like no kids in that town. So it's not like he's like aware of current things well, like, I, the I would internet. appreciate that sort of but he doesn't really have access to it as far as we can tell but yeah but he's super fast like, I mean, he's I probably get... i don't know I, don't, I i didn't find that hard to believe that he would be ingratiated with pop culture i don't know i mean it's not it doesn't kill it's not what takes me out of the movie entirely i just feel like i feel Sounds like, like it, it was make... the straw that broke the camel's back for you i think it would have been funnier and maybe more pointed if like his point of reference or things were like only like 80s and 90s and 2000 things like what like that's kind of what they do like with like the speed thing and then like what was the other movie they reference i forget what it was but like like i feel like there's more like stuff like that that would make sense that would actually be kind of funny and but just like they have to appeal to the younger demographic so it's like these random things that he like would only sort of know about but maybe not really in this context and setting but that's a minor nitpick in the scheme of things for me well for me i actually liked that he was not a fish out of water character. So we've been beating around what the story is because the story doesn't really matter in this movie, honestly. But the idea is that he's an alien and and all these creatures want to steal him for his power. And eventually when he's like a little kid, he gets sent to Earth by his owl patriarch, which they're very random. Don't know yeah. where that character is from. Yeah, very random. They're like, we need an origin for yeah. uh, Sonic. What's right. that movie from 10 years ago with the owls? <laughs> The Legend yeah. of the Guardians? Yeah, <laughs> get one of those. Cool. Get those owls on the phone. <laughs> Cast one ASAP, yeah. yeah. But yeah, he, he lives on Earth for like years and years, and he's not a fish out of water. Like he already understands Earth, and he's been around the block. And I do think there's something kind of interesting in the writing of like he decides like his favorite place is this really slow town, which that was actually, I don't know if the movie was being nuanced there or if it was just, I don't know, because the, the the there's like the wordplay because it's called Green Hills, which is like a level in like the Sonic game and all of that. And yeah. it, is it really just because of the budget of this movie? They were like, we need to film this in Atlanta and it will take place in Montana. And that's way cheaper 
to like animate Sonic kind of like Dash from the Incredibles, like in this, you know, greenery sort of location instead of cities and more complicated backdrops and all that. I think it's a mix of both. If I had to guess, like it, it seemed like, yeah, like they, they didn't want to put him in like New York or something. Cause it wouldn't, that wouldn't really fit his character or his persona. I guess it could kind of, but it'd be another Smurfs. Right. It'd be another Smurfs, which I mean, like I hate this trope of like, let's take a character and like show like their world for five minutes that we establish and know and love from this property and then put them into our world. It's like, I like, I don't care about our world. I, I spent enough time <laughs> in this one. I want to go to Sonic land. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I pay to see the movie Sonic. Yeah. I want to go to Sonic land. But I also, I think this movie does it a little better than like, the, like you said, like Smurfs and the other ones where it's less like, you know, it, uh-huh. it, th- those movies have like nothing to offer. And then they just go to our world. And it's like, well, this sucks even more. <laughs> and this one has like, at least like few things where it makes it somewhat redeemable. But yeah, it's still, still a pet peeve of mine. I have to say. I'm a little sad that Paul Rudd wasn't uh, wasn't the main cop guy. Uh, he originally. I'm pretty was in sure Cops. they wanted Paul Rudd. They did, <laughs> yeah, because he's yeah. written like Paul Rudd, right? And right. No, they yeah. got they got James Marsden, in, and we can we can talk about the writing in terms of like what do you think of Sonic himself, and do you think this is an annoying character and all that? But first, we we got to talk about Jim Carrey here. Our guy Carrey, he has he's come a long Smoke. way. <laughs> he he kind of went back in time to some of his wackier performances. It's been a long time since we've seen Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, Jim Carrey kind of hamming it up. Uh, He's done a lot of more serious roles instead lately. It kind of reminded me more of like, it was like a mix of like Ace Ventura and the Grinch, Jim Carrey, I guess like it was like a mix of those two for me, but yeah, it was, it's been a while. It's been uh, nearly, I guess like two decades in that regard since we've had this kind of, this type of Jim Carrey in a movie. And it did feel like that felt like a genuine blast from the past in that regard. I saw more Cable Guy than I did Grinch. Just this, like, okay. I think because of the the darkness the evil? of his character. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. I thought he was entertaining in this. I thought he was wacky, and he had, I, the only laughs I had in this film were from him. So I guess that's a good hmm. thing, sure. Uh but okay. In terms of like the the back and forth between him and Sonic and then James Marsden, I got to be honest. I I just did not really. I, I ended up. I wasn't invested really in like. Sure. Any of this. I think this movie is, it's plain bad, but it's bad in an almost lovable way to the point where I think some people are going to watch it and get plenty out of it. Like people are going to grow up who are younger, teenagers, preteens, maybe even younger than that. They're going to love Sonic and they're going to love the Sonic movie. And in 15, 20 years, there's going to be something where somebody's like, remember the Sonic movie? And remember how weird it was? And they're going to be like, oh man, it was kind of weird. I never thought of it that way. And you and I are going to be old farts just kind of being like yeah we know like it was sonic was kind sure. of bad i mean it's funny you say that because like i was i mean i'm broken record when i say this at this point but i was thinking of like a future uh like whatever the future equivalent of uh, ogre tits ogre is going to be they'll probably cover this movie on a season and i could see them having a kind of a similar reaction to what we're having right now with scooby-doo where it's just like yeah some things this is pretty fun and it gets the characters right and some things are just not right at all or lame or stupid uh that was an unintended plug i guess for season four but um yeah it's just you know i mean i, I get what you mean yeah it's like it does feel like that kind of movie like that early 2000 family kids film that uh in some respects is out the door in some respects we're kind of getting more of recently weirdly uh like like with this and Doolittle and a couple others but um yeah i I, i'd have to say the only thing i had to push back on as far as what you said are well for one i don't i wouldn't go far as far as to say it's bad to me it's just like a tolerably mediocre movie that has a bad script like i I think the rest of it is fine 
but I also wasn't really enamored with Jim Carrey in this. Like I, I was happy to see him back to his old self, like especially considering his personal history and just what he's been going through recently. It was nice to see Jim Carrey in this type of role again, but I didn't really think anything he did was that funny. Like I, like I appreciate it. Okay. He- I, I think I was in a, in a mode of I'll take anything I can get, honestly. Sure. For me, I mean, the stuff that I found funny was like just Sonic being Sonic with himself. Like when he's like playing like with the turtle and he's just like running at super speed. Like that stuff I found was funny. And then like like little like montage where he's just yeah. like, messing around with See, himself. Stuff, like I found that stuff I found amusing. I sure. But never funny. Like I never was like, oh, wow, it's Sonic. He's so cool. When I, I say funny, like, I mean yeah, like yeah. more like chuckle worthy, which I guess would be amusing. But like. Like there's no like belly laughs for me in this, but like there's no. a, I got a decent stream of chuckles and I remember smiling in scenes like that. And, but for me, like the Jim Carrey stuff just felt very underdirected to me, which is fine. Cause like, if you're just going to have Jim Carrey doing this, I get that. Like, especially for a first time director, like you're not going to tell Jim Carrey what to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that's why it worked for me. It's like, oh yeah, just let Jim do his thing. And it doesn't all work to what you're saying. Some of it is a little bit like what in the world? Like <laughs> that's neither funny nor does it make any sense. But then there's some other things he does in this, uh, the way he treats his like main henchman, for example, is I, I thought that was actually funny. There was like humor in that. I just wanted them to kiss. There's so much palpable tension between them. I'm just like, why aren't they going to kiss? And no, that, because bothered me. well, robotics keeping it an arm's length, you know, he doesn't want to sure. give his full affection so easily. I don't know. I mean, but like kind of bored and abusive. So it's like, if there's no romantic tension, I don't know what I'm getting from these two. <laughs> I thought there was. I, I thought it was a very similar energy to last week's Birds of Prey with the two villains sure. in that, honestly. That's why. No, it's funny. I was thinking that exact same thing. Yeah. I was like, this is like some weird, like, I, 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 I'm wondering what, what's going to come next. I guess there's not going to be anything <laughs> like that. And um, what's coming out next week? Uh, Well, Call of the Wild. A little bit. A little bit, I guess, in Call of the Wild. I, I can't say anything more than that. But yeah, I guess there is this weird trend. Maybe, uh, well, you know, Wonder Woman is supposed to have some villains who might be maybe not, uh, I, I think it will be implied like bisexual or something like that with like Kristen Wiig and I don't know. Maybe. Um, yeah, well, it is a weird yet surprising trend that I, I, I guess I like. I mean, it's kind of, it's fun. It's different, I guess. But I mean, I just wanted them to kiss. That's all I wanted, I guess, from these two villains. But that's, that's a whole other matter, I suppose. I'm sorry you didn't get what you wanted. Uh, sure. I feel the same way in general with this movie. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't it's even know what segue, I... But... I Honestly, I don't know what I wanted from this movie. I, I don't think I expected much, and I still was kind of disappointed in some ways. I, I don't, But it's not... It, yeah, when I say bad, I'm not saying it's a bad movie in terms of like it's an insult. I, I think it's bad because it's mediocre and because there's just nothing original in it. It's kind of like what you were saying. Like It literally steals the Quicksilver scene from X-Men it has all of these cliches and tropes from all these different movies. There's just no spark of, there's no real energy to it. There's nothing authentic to this movie. And for, I think for a lot of people, that's fine. Like they don't want that. They don't expect that or anything. Like even the Jim Carrey performance is just him doing stuff he's done before, but remixing it into right. a new character. Yeah. He's not really Dr. Robotnik in that sense. He's just basically Jim Carrey in villain mode again. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree a lot with what you're saying and I disagree with a little bit, but I think for what you're saying earlier, it's just like, I think you're spot on when you were saying that there's enough good stuff in here that the stuff that's bad sticks out even more and it's more disappointing because it's like, 
you're almost getting there in a lot of respects. Like you're you're getting over a lot of these humps. You have this kind of like satirotic attitude where you're you're allowing yourself to not get too boggled down with the exposition and serious stuff. Because there is really no there's not a lot of character to Sonic. He's just kind of like a rambunctious kid that runs around and is like ha- and just fun loving and stuff like that. So he's it's not lonely. like you have to really do it. right. But I mean, in the movie, yeah, he is. But like as far as like his game character, I don't. Feel oh, like I that. see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not really a lot to step. Yeah, like I get that the movie's like. We're just going to let Sonic be Sonic. Like, we don't have to, like, develop too much. And I respect that. But I also think, like you said, there's just so many bad jokes and bad puns and lame, like, gags in this. And a lot of, like, trope-heavy and cliche stuff that is just more frustrating because the stuff that works here is fairly enjoyable and surprising. So, yeah, for me, it's a mixed bag. I would give it a high C+, I think, just because... What I do like was ultimately enjoyable enough and better than I anticipated that I was willing to forgive a lot of his flaws. And I do think we didn't bring it up that I think Ben Schwartz does a good job as Sonic. Like, I think he brings the right energy to yeah, it. And I think I agree with that. a lot of different a lot of different voice actors would make this character a lot more annoying and irritating. And I think he he gets the balance pretty well as far as like being kind of grating, but also fairly charming at the same time. And I think. Not a lot of actors could do that, but I think he was a good choice for it. So I still I think, think also, I still yeah. think John Lovitz should have done the voice. John Lovitz, did he do it in one of the cartoons? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, How great though? What if like, what if Jaleel White had critic. done it? Yeah, he, it was Urkel initially, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he did it in yeah. the the animated cartoon. Yeah. Right, and then didn't he come back for like a fan film or something? I heard. Oh, not that I know of, but okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, that would have been nice, but I don't know. I don't know what he's up to these days, but I guess they got, I, I don't know. I think Ben Schwartz did a fine job. I would be happy to see him get more paychecks from this role and doing it different things. The last thing I remember Jaleel White was in was like the Sharknado movies, I want to say. Okay. I didn't even see past two. I don't know if he, if I got to his scenes, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think we covered it mostly for Sonic. I think it's just, uh, it, it's like a mixed bag for me at least. And it seems like you're a little lesser on it, but I'm, well, you know, better than I anticipated I, I'm like a low C plus teetering on a C. Um, okay. And I just looked it up. You're right. He did play Sonic in a fan film, Julia White. But it looks like mm-hmm. the last film he was in was the 1517 to Paris, which I didn't see. So, oh, yeah, yeah he was in that. That was yeah. He had a really random role in that. Yeah. Oh, and it wasn't it wasn't Sharknado. Sorry, it was Mega Shark versus Crocosaurus. That's what I was thinking. Oh, OK, so I apologize to everyone. <laughs> nothing but the classics from <laughs> nothing uh, but the classics. Yeah, low low C plus for me. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're not that far off on this one. It's, I think it's kind of the Sonic movie we were both expecting and not expecting at the same time, and I think Jeff Fowler, surprisingly enough, this might launch a directorial career for him because I mean, yep. some critics are unironically liking this movie. Sixty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I know some critics who were just like, yeah, they liked it. They thought it was a lot of fun. It has a cinema score of an A. I mean, yeah, people who wanted to go see this went and saw it this weekend. It's making money uh, so far. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say, I think kids, like families, are probably going to get a lot out of this. Yeah. And I, I would, I mean, I don't know if I'd recommend it per se, but I think if they want to see it, they'll they'll have a good time. It's on track to, to get close to like 40, $45 million opener we were predicting last week. And it only costs between 81 to $95 million to make. So it won't be like a massive hit or anything, but this it could because February is looking kind of pale and Birds of Prey is not cleaning up right now. So Sonic right. could fill the next couple of weeks and really collect a, a lot of money, have a lot of legs, I should say. Yeah, especially with Doolittle not doing that well and Frozen being... Uh, pretty much out of the picture in Star Wars as well. Like, I mean, it makes sense that this is taking that family market in a weird way. Moving it to February did seem to play to its advantage as far as its box office. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's working out for it. 
Yeah. And, yeah. A uh, little bit of a surprise. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think we, uh, you know, give credit to those animators who like basically were overworked and underpaid to Absolutely. redo this design. I mean, I think the design most, the redesign mostly works. Like there's like, I don't think Sonic ever is like organically in the frame a lot of the time. Like it definitely no. feels like he's pasted onto it. But as far as the design's concerned, I think it's enjoyably cartoony and definitely a lot easier on the eyes than the original one. So respect for them. All right. Let's move on to our next film for this week. The Photograph. And uh, this one you did not catch, Will, because I, I believe your exact words were, I don't like love. I I don't appreciate Lakeith statement. Stanfield or Issa Rae, which no, I thought was a little, whoa. I, I don't, I, I think this is, uh, <laughs> this is getting into slander territory. But. <laughs> That's right. I know you're a big fan of both, but yeah. Oh, I don't know if you're a big fan of Issa Rae. I don't know. We haven't had a chance to really talk about her too much on this show. I think the last time. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm. I've only seen her in two things, I think. See, The Hate You Give and what else? Mm -hmm. Little. Oh, yeah, that's right, which I didn't see. So, yeah. Um, the Photograph, though, is definitely a bigger film for her. Uh, she's also going to be in that new film with Camille Nanjiani, The Lovebirds. Mm -hmm. But this one is The Photograph. It's the only wide release out this week in theaters. And it's the only, the I should say, it's the only wide release out in theaters that feels like a Valentine's Day movie, like a traditional one, at least in mm -hmm. some respects. And this one's directed by Stella Meggie, who I, I'm not as familiar with some of the films she's done. I know Everything Everything was one of her more recent films. And I think you saw that, right? Yeah, a couple of years ago. Or that a was few like, years ago now. Yeah, that was like a movie pass movie or something, I want to say. Or it was one of the ones was that it? they were promoting. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, go see Everything Everything. It has Jacob Batalon from Spider-Man. But yeah, so this film stars Lakeith Stanfield, who I think is one of our top actors right now. I think... After Uncut Gems, after uh, Knives Out, just in this last year, uh, we've seen him and so many good things. And I, every time I see this guy pop up, I'm just like, this This is one of our up and coming, like uh, multiple Oscar nominated and winning actors. But this film's a little different energy for him. He gets to be a romantic co-lead. And in this, he plays a reporter named Michael from New York, who is doing a story on the oil spill in Louisiana. But while he's interviewing local fishermen, he stumbles upon a totally different story about a mysterious woman who left their small town to become a photographer in New York. So he goes back home to follow the threads of this scoop, I guess. They never really explain like what he finds interesting about the story, but it's, I guess it's kind of like a human interest piece. And he crosses paths with the woman's daughter, a strange daughter named May, played by Issa Rae. And right off the bat, the two of them immediately, like, they, they feel a huge spark of romance and chemistry is just, like, dripping off the screen. You can really tell from the trailers, whoever decided to cast these two leads, I mean, that was just, that could have been the idea for the movies. Like, well, what if Issa Rae and, like, Keith Stanfield were in love? Okay, cool. Write the story. Like, write the story around that entire thing and make it as steamy as possible. And I think... That, that, to me, at least feels like where the impetus for this movie comes from, because it kind of was written that way. It's like, well, you know, like he's Stanfield, but he was a reporter. You know what I mean? It's just like it feels written in some respects, but not in a bad way. But yeah, so they have this sort of, I want to say clumsy, sometimes like socially awkward relationship that starts to blossom. But it's also very charming in, in a lot of respects. And over the course of the movie, we, we learn a lot more about May's mother through these flashbacks that in some sense are a little unnecessary. Like they sort of tease something that's kind of obvious. And, you know, throughout this whole movie, I was waiting for all of these threads to come together. I was waiting for the movie to surprise me. But ultimately, the plot is a bit flat. And 
it's not as remarkable as a lot of these like ingredients because if you watch the trailer, I mean, you get a lot of the good stuff that this movie has. It has good performances. It has an interesting story. It's a good premise for romantic drama where it on in theory and on paper and all of that, like this should all be just working and like sweeping you up. It, it's it sets a really good mood. The atmosphere, it's it's palpable on a superficial level. It's very interesting and, and compelling. And, and you want this story to go deeper and you want this plot to just start moving and for things to happen. It never really does. Uh, characters kind of float and wander and meander throughout the movie. And there's not a lot of character action. There's just a lot of character talking. There's a lot of like character sort of existing. And it's weird because in one sense, I like how these two characters, they, they talk to each other. They converse. They talk about their problems. And they're honest with each other at, at sometimes. Um, but even when they're not honest with each other, they're, they're just good at explaining themselves. And they're good at like resolving their issues. But it's almost to the point where there's not enough dramatic conflict or tension to really sell the relationship. Which I feel bad saying because we complain about that sometimes times with romantic movies of like ah uh, you know they're they're inventing this conflict out of thin air so that they can fight and make up and all of that whereas this movie yeah i don't know it it, it kind of just things just i don't know it, it just doesn't have that catharsis it doesn't have that sort of like build up to a big moment in in the way that you want it's just very chill and if that's what you want i think you, you'll get it uh, as a chill movie i i wasn't very bored by it, but I definitely wasn't that sunk into this movie. I think the cinematography is really easy to appreciate. The acting is memorable, as you can expect. It's refreshing to see a romance between black leads that doesn't make a bunch of drama out of black pain and racism. It just, it revels in like the joy of their relationship instead. And I think uh, I read on Twitter, somebody was, somebody said something that was really on point. And I, I, I hate to not credit them a hundred percent because I forget who said this exactly, but just somebody pointed out how it's, it's easy to imitate the, like the poetry of films like Moonlight and If Bale Street Could Talk, the Barry Jenkins films, obviously, but it's really hard to replicate that as a filmmaker. So nothing against Stella Meggie. I just think that she makes very corny, cheesy movies from what I can tell. And that's what this movie kind of is. But this movie is trying to be more than that. It's trying to come off as it's, it's a little pretentious in some ways. It's just trying to be like, you know, a big surprise of a movie, a movie that's really going to sweep you off your feet. And it's not. I mean, it's just kind of shallow when it comes to the writing. And it's it's one of those movies where when you look back on it, like you won't have a miserable time. But I just remember looking back and being like, what was the point of Kelvin Harrison Jr.'s character in this movie? Like, what did he add to it? What, what did he because he's a great actor. And when you reflect on all of his scenes, you're like, I don't know, he didn't need to be there. Like his character didn't better the story. The same goes for Chelsea Peretti who I think is like overcast here, like as a comedic character who doesn't do anything really. Uh, the, the only actor in here who I was like, okay, this this character exists, has a purpose, is actually like a supportive figure, is Lil Rel Howery, who I loved in this. Uh, he he was such a delight. He has a great back and forth with Tiona Paris as like a husband and wife. And, and those scenes are very funny. They're very engaging. I'd say similarly, actually, Rob Morgan in here, is is great i you know we we've seen him pop up more and more uh on like films because uh, we know him of course through like the marvel netflix shows and he has like a very thankless role in stranger things but in this movie 
he gets a little bit of he gets to have some dramatic dramatic flair and he gets to have some like harsher tones and it's not a lot but it, it is good enough i think to to round this film out we're going around in circles because i'm trying i'm searching for the things i think people would like about this film but it's unfortunate because i think there's just too much in here that people are going to find less than impressive and i, I think some critics are split on this, but where I'm at at the moment, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a C plus, almost a B minus. I think I'm like where you were at on Sonic. It's like really high C plus, almost a B minus here. It could be a B minus tomorrow if, if I think about it a little bit more, because I, I, I don't know, I want more movies like this to be made. I think that there's a lot to respect in this movie. It, it didn't fully work for me, but I'm trying to think like, is it going to work for a lot of other people? And it's a film that in some ways matters. And so it's got that going for it. And it's technically pretty well made. I mean, it, it looks, feels, and sounds great. I, it really is just the writing that just does not quite reach a higher level here. So I'm, I'm going to push it and say B minus because yeah, if, if that's like the only thing <laughs> I know for, we all know from cinemaholics like writing and story or where i just i really lean heavier on when reviewing and all of that but i, I don't want to do that this time i want to actually like give this film enough credit so i'm, I'm a b minus on the photograph and yeah I don't, I don't know well do you plan on catching this one um maybe i don't i don't know if i'll see it uh in theaters but i'll probably catch it at some point i was gonna say because i don't know if it's worth hunting in theaters or like making time for it when you have a busy schedule, but as a rental or as something to stream because it's there, I, I think you could definitely get something out of it potentially. Um, Sounds good. It's making a little bit of money, $16 million budget, pretty low. Uh, it's looking like it'll probably make that in its first week or so, uh, perhaps, but it's Thursday night previews were abysmal. It only made $650,000. And yeah, as far as I know, it's, it's only made like half its budget so far, um, based on Friday. So the problem with that, of course, is that it's a Valentine's day movie. So you'd think it'd be doing much better than that, but, uh, mm. that could be a kind of a high bar, uh, to set for a movie that does feel kind of small. People uh, want to see Sonic. <laughs> They're like, I could see one photograph or I could see a bunch of photographs of Sonic. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that was your reasoning for this one. Sure. Um, <laughs> all right, well, let's let's go to another. Uh, well, I guess this one's not romantic. Actually, would you call it downhill romantic, or like, is there um, romance in it? Romantic tension. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it's not unromantic, but it's yeah. I mean, I wouldn't call it a traditional rant, romantic film in any certain respect. I already talked about this film when doing the whole Sundance thing. So a lot of you already know my opinion. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Will. Uh, tell sure. us about Downhill. This is the new film directed by Nat Faxon and Jim Rash. It's a remake of mm -hmm. Force Majeure, which you actually just watched. And yeah. I want to hear you compare the two films a little bit, because I didn't do a lot of that. And what what worked about this movie, what didn't work, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I remember you were pretty mixed at best, I think, on the film, right? You thought it was, that was like, like a, a C plus C or C so. Plus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not far from you for that regard. I mean, for me, like, I, I think I tend to give these American remakes a, the benefit of the doubt because like, I mean, in one respect, like it's easy to dismiss them as just being like, you know, cheaper substitutes of better films. But I feel like most people aren't going to spend two years of their lives just like doing a redo just for the spite of it. I feel like there has to be some intent and some reason, like they see something in the original film 
And they're like, we, there's a universal quality to this that we can translate into our language and our customs and our culture and do something with that. And I kind of get that in certain respects from downhill because, I mean, Force Majeure is the, the basic premise of it. It's like nuclear family, a Swedish family in uh, like this uh, ski resort, I believe in France. And there is an incident where it looks like an avalanche is going to fall on them and the husband father uh, instead of protecting the family, takes his phone and his gloves and he runs away. And then the cloud disperses and realize, you know, it wasn't actually a tragedy. Their lives are safe. But uh, it's apparent that, you know, like there's a different disaster going on where it's like they, they have to reconcile with the fact that in a moment of panic, he chose to be selfish as opposed to being a protector of his family and his wife. And so the movie for Force Majeure does that in a lot more like kind of realistic, grounded sense where it's like the camera is pulled back a lot. Shots will play out in like one take for like four or five minutes. And we get this kind of like bottled in nuclear uh, quality to it where it almost feels like a little too real at times. But there's like this like dry wit to it that really like gives it a punch. And I really like Force Majeure a lot. I mean, I'm kind of bummed I didn't see it earlier because I did enjoy his follow up to Square when I saw it a few years ago. And I was curious to see his other stuff. And I'm, I think I'm really sold on his style now, especially seeing these two films. But this one, it's just very conventional by design. Like, I mean, it's Will Ferrell and Jamie or sorry, Julia Lewis-Dreyfus. Uh, I think Julia Lewis-Dreyfus is a little better of the two here. I do appreciate that Will Ferrell is like trying to be more reserved than his usual style, because that was what I was really worried about with this remake was that it was going to be super bombastic, super like over the top and like, you know, a lot of yelling and all this stuff. And I think the movie's mostly reserved and restrained compared to like what it could have been. I mean, obviously more heightened than the uh, Swedish version, but definitely not really tapping the same uh, comments and commentaries as that film does so eloquently. I feel like this film, it's just very mediocre by design and it sucks because I feel like we're just kind of talking about generally meh movies this week, but uh, <laughs> I just felt like this one was just just kind of just okay. Like it, it wasn't offensively bad, but it felt like the stuff that works here could have been better as well. Like I do think Julia Lewis-Dreyfus does give a good performance and she does get more of the center stage here than I was anticipating, mainly because I think she's a producer on this and she seems to have added a few more scenes for her character in a way that I found more intriguing than not. Um, And I think kind of fleshes out their relationship in somewhat interesting ways. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it just it just feels like an inferior version of a much better film. And I mean, I know Force Majeure I saw on Hulu, so it's not hard to find. And I, I can't really in good conscience tell anybody to see this over Force Majeure since it's so readily accessible and you don't have to go anywhere to see it. I think it just makes a lot more sense to see Force Majeure than what you can get from Downhill, which is at best like a fine rental and no, m- not much more than that. And I, I feel like that's mostly where you were on it. You might have been a little yeah. more positive, but... No, I am I might even be a little bit more negative, especially upon further reflection on this Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's what I mean. Like, the more I think about it, it's more just like... Like, it's not incompetent in any particular way, but there's no. not there's just not really anything that stands out to me. Like, right. I, I can't, can't really take anything that, like, I thought was, like, significantly better than the original or that I thought was, like, more intriguing. The only thing is just, like, they add a couple character beats that layers their characters a little bit more, but not in a way that's, like, better necessarily. It's just a little different. But, I mean, I will say, I mean, you can tell it's Jim Rash and Nat Faxon. Like, I, I feel like it does feel like their movie. It doesn't feel like they're directors for hire here. Like you can but tell that's almost the, like, a problem, the way... though. I think right. that you their think so? schmaltzy sen- sensibility just doesn't fit the material as well. Well, I wasn't even talking about the schmaltz. I just meant like kind of like the like awkward humor style of it, like the like kind of like 
Sure. Like characters not really knowing how they interact with one another. That was apparent in their script for the descendants and the way back. That was like kind of the source of the comedy is just like people in different locations, not really knowing what to do with one another seems to be like their source of comedy. And that that's apparent here. I feel like, especially towards the beginning, but um, yeah, I just, I, I don't think it's enough really to justify a full remake of this, especially coming so shortly after the original one. Yeah. I, I, honestly, it, this just doesn't seem worth hiking to the theater for like it's just not right, a big screen I mean. kind of movie and yeah i think that's why i agree like if you're just gonna sit and you know if you could just much easily make an afternoon out of watching force majeure on a streaming service and i hate to say that because you know i'm watching watching movies on the big screen is always fun and i i think i really wish julia lewis dreyfus did more movies i think she is one of the yeah. strong parts of this well, she is onward well, she's always like a voice, right? So she's she's been a voice in a bunch of Pixar films like this one and Bugs Life. And yeah, but she never she's never really gets to show her acting chops. Like she sure. was in Enough Said before this, but that was like that was like seven years ago. Right. I think that was I was trying to think back, like what was the last movie I saw before this with Julia Lewis Dreyfus? I think it honestly was Enough Said. I don't think she's done anything so. since. Uh she's been doing like Veep well, and everything Veep. and you know, yeah. but uh, not in like films. Right. And it's just I don't know. I think it's a little bit of a bummer. Like she's under she's under recognized, I think, in some respects. I mean, she's consistently working, so it's not like she's yeah. unemployed. But I, I do agree that like if, if considering that we get so little of her on the big screen, she is clearly a good talent. Like she always brings it, even the films that aren't particularly good like this one. It's just a shame that like I mean, she obviously like she's a producer on this. So she saw like more than just like an acting gig out of this. Like she wanted to really do something with this right. material and this character. But yeah, it just feels very mediocre with the exception of her performance. Well, downhill it's in limited release right now. I don't know how wide it's going I think to it's go. Wide. Uh, is I it mean, wide it release? It's right pretty now? wide. I'm pretty sure. Cause it's playing in most of the main run theaters around me. And if that's the case, if it's playing here, it's playing almost everywhere else. I have to imagine. Um, well, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Actually it's in, I mean, maybe it hit limited last week is which I was thinking of right now. It's playing in 2,301 theaters. So that's definitely wide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's which not is making weird for a, a uh, searchlight. Yeah. Well, searchlight is kind of rebranding. So what did you yeah. think of the, the new logo fanfare and all that? It was weird. I thought it was really weird when, um, call the wild had the 20th century pictures or 20th century studios. Logo. Which, yeah. I haven't seen yet. So, uh, yeah, literally it's the same exact thing. It's literally the same exact thing, but Fox is taken out of the middle. So it's even more like surreal because like with Searchlight, they like, took it off the top. So it's just like kind of weird, like with the Fox or the new 20th century logo. It's just like Bizarroville. It's very strange. Hmm. Well, I think we're going to be pivoting to a podcast that's all about intro logos. music and logos <laughs> for movies. And that's what I've sure. wanted Cinemaholics to be all along. So we finally sure. got into this place where I can form my coup. Um, What's the the best logo in your opinion, John Negroni? Probably THX. THX? Well, that's yeah. not really a logo for like a studio. That's a good logo. <laughs> is that what I said? Sure, no. Fair enough. I'm a big fan of the Universal one. I think like that's pretty good. Mm, it's memorable. Like, I get pretty excited. I get pretty excited. I also get pretty excited with 20th Century Fox or 20th Century, whatever it is now. I think nothing beats the 20th Century Fox cut with the music still going to yeah. Lucasfilm. That is just sure. iconic. But I really like a lot of the more custom Disney intros. Like the Jungle Book one really sticks out to me how they handled that. And let's not forget Pixar's Incredibles 2, where the, the lamp turns into the light. Mm. Hmm. Delicious. That was cool, yeah. Um, remember when Disney had like that one logo that was like a light in a cave? And it was just like the logo was like on the like a cave wall or something for like three movies? Just three movies? Was it? 
It was like only a was few. This older? It was like Atlant. It was like Atlantis and like a couple others. Mm. This is a weird. Like, did they change it then? Because I remember watching Atlantis not too long ago. I don't remember that. Maybe maybe it was Atlantis. I forget what movies it was. It was just like it was just a few movies. I remember they they had that new logo. Maybe it was only one movie, and I just think it's three. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I anyway, don't know. Uh, I think it's been logo talk. <laughs> do do we finish it we weren't gonna talk about the dreamworks one okay sure yeah i like dreamworks logo it's cool <laughs> it's fun the little kid I, I just want that kid like i hope he's he gets off that moon some point i think he's living his he's best like, life honestly you think so i feel like he's tw- kind of tortured he's like how many times about to pretend to throw how many times about to pretend to catch his fish it's like you you don't do know he's pretending he's probably no he's probably catching a fish during the movie and enjoying his lunch and then you just don't see it fair enough that's yeah. why he's always going back Although he's been getting kind of cocky, I remember recently, because like now, like that, like that, like fishing reel, like goes like 3D whoosh. It's going into. He's, he's getting, getting cocky, cocky. now. <laughs> he's like, I've been doing this for 23 years. Look what I can do. I love how your arm just armchair therapizing <laughs> this moon <laughs> <The dream> boy. <laughs> All right. Um, that's downhill uh and uh, plus more uh, as you can see this movie is so interesting we stayed on topic um sure 44 percent on rotten tomatoes critics are pretty mixed you could say negative a, on it you could say our review went uphill uphill <laughs> there, there we go, go. wow yeah. let's finish this out with our last review of the week and that's to all the boys p.s i still love you best film of 2020 it's in the running probably for best film of 2020 and 2019 and 2018 so uh at least if you're asking us both you I mean, and me it has to be in the bottom 10 for titles, though. That's a terrible title. <laughs> it's so bad. To all the boys, P.S. I still love you. Wow. I don't know. I've easily just been two, number two, all the boys. It's so easy. I've loved before. Uh, and you it, you yeah. know they're not, for the fourth one, they're not going to even try the before to four. No, to all the boys, I love three, four. No, no. And then to all the boys, I love B, four. Yeah. I think, I think this one's, then, they're not going to try to, they're not going to fast and furious it. Honestly, to all the boys I love, five. <laughs> to all the boys I loved before, twenty forty nine. Sure. But uh, <laughs> this is a follow up to the twenty eighteen Netflix romantic comedy. It's all the boys I loved before, which was an adaptation of I, th- I think it was one or two novels. I don't I don't remember if it was like a series because I, I never read the books novels. or anything. Was it three novels? I think. Um, I, I know like the book titles are the same okay. as the movie titles. Okay. Well, th- this was the these books are from uh, Jenny Han, and I really loved all the boys I loved before. I thought that was a really fun, flashy, good time at Netflix. Uh, what, what really, what I think really works about that movie is like you have this sort of conventional love story, and you know the the two leads and everything. It kind of pulls like a little trick on you of like who to sh- who's going to be like the heartthrob that uh, becomes like the movie's guy or whatever. But I think the reason it worked then is because this was before Noah Centineo became such a this was the movie sort of launched his netflix romantic career i guess because he's done a bunch of things like this since uh to much much lesser success uh this also launched just such a such a momentum for lana condor i think she's gonna be popping up in a lot of new things i think that she is such a talent and what made me fall in love with the first movie and i know will you just watched it for the first time so you have some stuff to say is the production design i love the production design of both of these films 
like everything that goes into the costuming into just the writing of like this little world that they live in in Portland and how it has so much character. I'm curious how you think it matches up to like Timmy failure in that respect, because that was also another Portland movie. I still have yet to watch it, but from how you've described it, it seems to have like a similar uh, affection for this location, but perhaps in a different way. And yeah, yeah, I'd say. yeah, pretty much. Except I feel like the movies, both to all the boys I love before in the sequel, uh, I feel like they're very much Canada. Like they don't like I know they're not supposed to take place in Canada, but they feel very Canadian hmm. to me. So I don't think of like Portland so much. I just think like this seems like the great white north. Interesting. Well, I didn't but, I didn't get that impression, but I won't I won't push back. Uh, I guess I could see this being like Toronto. Yeah, I mean, I got that more with the second one, to be fair, than the first one. But I, I definitely got the Canadian vibes from both these films. It, it was shot in Vancouver. So. Right. Yeah, fair enough. But all right. So this follow up. We're going to have to spoil the first movie. So if you have not seen Tell the Boys I've Loved before, you don't want to know what happens at the end. It's impossible to talk about this movie without getting into the plots and how they all turn out in the first one. But so this is I your mean, warning. to be fair, I feel like you can watch the first movie, know sure. what's going to happen and still enjoy it. Like, I don't think it, like the plot is going to make or break it. But I mean, yeah, if, it you're, can if you're worried about spoilers, people, you know, sure. like if they're like, oh, OK, then I don't need to watch this movie if you've already told me, you know what I mean? Sure. Okay. So that's fair. In the first movie, our main character, Lara Jean, played by Lana Condor, she's kind of like an outcast loner, but she's also very lovable and sweet and innocent. And she's pretty sad because her sister, ha- her older sister, has moved to another country. Uh, she yeah. just lives with her her dad, played by uh, John Corbett, and her younger sister, played by oh gosh, what's her name? Um, Kitty. Kitty. Something. But it, what, the, I think yeah. the actor is Anna Cathar, Cathcart, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so through a series of unfortunate events, uh, a bunch of letters that she's written to all of the boys she's had crushes on before get mailed out to all these boys. And in these letters, she it's like her writing a letter to them, but really to herself about like, you know, this is why I love you. This memory I have of you is very special. All of these letters get sent out and eventually she finds herself in a fake relationship with one of those boys in order to make one of her childhood friends jealous that they can get back together as you can imagine this blossoms into an actual romance between her and peter kavinsky played by noah centineo so by the end of the first movie they are in a relationship and in this movie kicks off with okay what's next for them so their their relationship is in full swing things seem to be going great but then out of nowhere she gets a letter um, from John Ambrose, who has been recast in this movie, uh, played now by Jordan Fisher. In the first movie, he was shown in everything, but he was he was a white boy, <laughs> and they they yeah. recast him, and they you right. know added more diversity to this cast, which uh, wonderful to see because I think they I think they made a good choice with Jordan Fisher. I think he's a very very good actor. Yeah, I think he's very good. good. He's a he's a good YA heartthrob to go toe to toe with Kavinsky here. Yeah, and I think he's also got like maybe a little bit more charisma. The boot, maybe maybe that, I'm yeah. present, sensing sensing some resistance resistance there, but maybe. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I'd have uh, to think about it. But uh, <laughs> there were things I liked and disliked about some of the john ambrose-ness of it all but uh yeah so he sort of like pops back into her life and she finds herself volunteering at the same uh retirement home that he's at and what could happen could he upset you know this new relationship she has with peter and the thing i like about this movie is that it actually explores like you know real relationship dynamics and how it can be very difficult to be in a relationship with somebody who has a history right and how mm-hmm. when you're with that person, you think of the per- people they were with before. 
And I think that's just a, a, both a clever and I think worthwhile message for a teen movie like this. I think it suffers from some of the same issues as the first movie where it tends to take the teeth out of like high school a little bit too much. Like, okay, fine. There's a little bit of drinking. Kids play like flip cup. But I don't know. This The sanitized version of high school in this world is a little bit like, okay. Like, I, I think even 16 year olds are going to watch this and be like, are they like in fifth grade? Like, this seems a little. Sure. Uh, like more middle schoolish. A little bit. It feels yeah. a little bit more like she's yeah. not 16. She's 14 in some ways. Yeah. Like I honestly thought when I was watching the first movie that she was in middle school. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, this is high school. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait, uh, it's college is right around the corner. What? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I agree. With you. Yeah. Yeah. I really I have a real soft spot for both of these movies. I think they're sweet and effective. And I think that they again, this production design just comes through. And I, I like the way these boys are written. I think the only the only thing that happened in this movie that I was a little bit like I felt like John Ambrose's character and Peter, they're almost sort of lionized. Like they're a little bit too like attentive. Too nice. They're really good yeah. boys. And in response, Lana Condor's character, Lara Jean, is written to be kind of despicable sometimes. Like not despicable, uh, but like I don't agree with that. Bad decision making that is a little bit out of I don't know, a, a little bit hard to believe. I mean, I get what you're saying. I think that's I mean, no, I don't agree with you about her being despicable in any sense, but I take that back. A, a despicable is too strong of a word. Right. I mean, I just think like I, I think I'm willing to forgive it because like they are kind of like a little too clean and like cutesy at times. But I feel like that's kind of like an attempt to like manic pixie dream boy them in a way. Like it's like like the opposite where like, yeah, we're used to it being the other way where like we're like the like the women, like the girl characters would be like overly like attentive in this regard where they don't really feel human in the, that sense. And I feel like like this is obviously a movie primarily for teenage girls. And I think it's meant to kind of be like cutesy and like over the top like that. And I feel like the first movie is a little better capturing like the surrealist tone. Like I think like there's like a little bit more distinction with the direction in the first movie where it feels like it's intentionally a little bit like over the top, not fully so, but like it seems to be heightened in a sense where I, I was willing to forgive that sense of like it doesn't feel totally realistic. Whereas like in this movie, it's played a little bit more straight. So it's a little more odd in that sense. But I agree with you for the most part for what you're saying. I guess I just that's the thing is like if you're going to and I, I agree with you fully of like that seems to be the intent is and, and that's a good thing to give these give give movies like this like a reason to like like okay so like the teen girls watching this can have an idea of like this is how a guy should treat you like this is how right. a guy yeah, should I mean, it's, it's it seems to be positive value yeah so i can't really get mad about it my so i'm fine with all of that the thing that bothered me was that in order to in, in order to still maintain like her being interesting and and her like for the plot to advance, basically. they had to give her all of right. these flaws out of nowhere right. that I felt a little mean spirited to this character that felt a little bit like, yeah, there were, there were moments where I was like, you're clearly in the wrong here and you don't need to be because your character is so not this, you know, that your character is so much more rounded sure. out than this or developed than this. And so th there were some shortcuts I think they were taking to like make this interesting. Cause there is like that interesting, like love triangle aspect of it. And, but the yeah. love triangle only exists because she has to do and make certain decisions that don't make a lot of sense for this character. So that that's my main criticism. Other than that, I think the big strength of this movie is that it's really smart about how sometimes in relationships, it's not about, it's not about the person you're with letting you down or it's not about what they can do for you. It's a little bit of like your, what you bring to it and the things that are like bringing you down and hurting your relationship, I guess like not to give things away, but really like with Peter 
and like how their relationship forms and, and all and rises and falls and all that stuff. I think a lot of the problems she's having, she has to figure it out for herself. She has to figure herself out. And there's some actual like honest dialogue in this movie about that, that, you know, gives her a chance to like figure out like, here, here's an issue that I'm facing. I need to go confront this person who, who's not in this relationship and I need to resolve certain things so that I can be a better partner to this other person. And I'm like, this is actually good stuff for like teenagers, right? And at the same time, like you have lines where it's like, ah, nobody in high school ends up together anyway. And you're like, ah, you don't have to say that yeah. movie. We know. <laughs> yeah. So I like this movie. It's, I think, charming and I think just as good as the first one. Yeah, I mean, like like you mentioned earlier, I, I saw it just recently and like after years after the hype and people were talking about it on Twitter. So I was just able to look at like not so much as this like pop culture phenomenon, just like as like this cute little teen movie that got popular. And I agree with you. I think for the most part, the first movie is pretty charming. Like I don't think I liked it quite as much as you did, just based on how you've talked about it in the past and how affectionate you are for it. I think I agree with you that the the performances from um, our lead actress and then the um, you know, I mean, even Noah, what's his name? Noah, um, uh, Centineo. Centineo. I mean, he's, yeah. not, he's not like a great actor, but I think he fits the part pretty well. I think he, he does what's required of it. And like, and you know, like you said, it has a nice sense of direction. Like it, it has like this vision that makes it stand out a little bit more than your typical high school film. And it, they both feel very cinematic, which kind of makes the idea of them being on Netflix a little disappointing, but I got to see the second one in a theater. So that was nice. Uh, I was able to kind of appreciate that. I guess the more cinematic quality of it. So I was lucky. Surprised by how well, oh. I was surprised by how well it translated to the theater. Like I thought it was going to be like, like watching a TV movie in theaters, but it actually, you know, I mean, they did a nice job, I think in that respect. But yeah, for me, I think the first movie kind of rides this line where part of it, like stuff I like is when it's kind of trying to subvert like the eighties tropes and like intentionally calling out movies like 16 candles and things like that. And, you know, kind of playing out like a little bit more drawn out, like acknowledging like those like comedy beats, but kind of playing them out in a little bit more subdued, uh, emotionally resonant ways. Mm-hmm. And then the stuff I don't really like about the first movie is like the nothing, sitcom it's all aspects. perfect. What? No, it, sure. there's nothing. Wrong uh, with it. No. Sorry, I'll stop. I mean, just like the kind of like sitcom beats and stuff. Like I don't really like, like anything like kitty says like just feels very like precocious yeah, and, yeah like yeah. horsing around kid like full house like <laughs> i'm the kid character and i have something to say like this that's too and, much man yeah that's what i mean it's like yeah it feels very much like horsing around like full house um yeah i mean you know like it, and nothing against that actress i think she's fine it just that like the way what you expect of her just feels like the kind of thing that like from shows i don't watch but she's so <laughs> she's a bit better in the second film i think I think so. I mean, I also fear Kitty, so I don't want to say too much about uh, <laughs> yeah, anything bad about her. What's she gonna do to you? <laughs> I don't know. She, she, you see what she did to this to her sister. I mean, what's she gonna do to me? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, she's she could get along with Amy from Little Women. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Just like burn that novel you've been working on. <laughs> sure, exactly. I don't know. She loves her sister. She doesn't love me. What's she gonna do to me? I don't know. <laughs> She's a sweet. She she does this like there's this like nice little subplot that kind of useless to the plot of the movie, but you know whatever involving the dad and like he has a crush on like one of the neighbors yeah. and like Kitty gets Which to really help. Doesn't go anywhere. It's just fun. I think it's yeah. setting up the third film. I think there's going to be something sure. to it in there, and I think with her like. I think there is something to like the absence of the mother and how that affects the development of these young girls. And I think we're probably going to see Margot in the next one and all that's going to come to a head. Like this feels like a second movie. Like I think 
a possible criticism mm-hmm. is that it doesn't really end it like sure. it, yeah it feels like oh yeah there's there's another one coming for sure like it's not finished here but i think that kind of leads into what i like about this movie i think i mean ultimately i think i agree with you that they're like about the same like if you like the first one you'll probably like this one to some extent but i think i like this one a little bit more than the first one because of what you were kind of alluding to which is that I felt like this movie wasn't so much based on like contrivances where it's like they have to do like this fake relationship and things like that. They're very like yeah. plotted. It's just them being in a relationship. Like obviously the stuff with John Ambrose is set up feels like very like, you know, contrived. And it's like they have to do like he yeah. comes back into her life. He's working at this place where she's working and stuff like that. But once it gets past that, it feels a lot more grounded and sincere and it feels a little bit more believable in the relationships and dynamics in a way that, you know, it's still kind of going for that cutesy, smaltzy quality, but it does feel like the performances are a little bit more honed in and it feels like there's a little bit more relatability to it in that regard. And I had to push back. I mean, like I do agree that, like, the boys, they seem a little bit, like, they're, like, faultless to a fault at times. Like, they're just, like, a little too squeaky clean perfect. But I do feel like they are given a little bit more time to feel like characters and, like, especially with um Peter, uh, Peter Kavinsky. Yeah. It feels like he's a little bit more fleshed out as a character in this one as opposed to the first one. They do get one scene too where they you get to see them kind of be petty and jealous and like there is right, a little exactly, bit more yeah. That, yeah and i felt like that was more relatable and realistic and it felt like that 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 made me invest more into them as characters which i appreciated more than the first film so i mean you know i think they're both about the same quality wise i just think there's a little bit more i valued in this one as opposed to the first one yeah yeah uh yeah before i, I do want to get into spoilers because we have to we have to discuss spoilers? did she pick the right boy I mean, we don't really need to get into I think we do. So, but before okay, we, fair enough. If you, <laughs> before we, you have did, to say. I need to debate okay. this with somebody. Um, and you're the only person, other person I know who has seen it. Um, uh, I give the movie an A plus. Uh, I just think it's perfect oh. in every way, <laughs> and uh, right. it's uh, it's wonderful, and I love it so much, and I want to see it all the time. No, no, I'm I'm like a B B minus on it. Uh, probably more of like a pretty high B minus. I think almost a B if not maybe it is just a B it's a it's in that zone what about you yeah I was right there between I was between a B and a B minus um like when I was out of the theater when I got out of the theater you know I was pretty happy it made me feel good you know I went to bed smiling at night but like I haven't really thought about it much since then like it just has gone through my life which I think is fine like it's a Netflix film people watch it, enjoy it and they probably won't think about it too much and I think in that regard it's not really substantive or important enough to really I think make it a B film for me like a like a b or b plus so i think i'm gonna give it a high b minus for that respect i think it's well done you know there's obviously stuff in it that's very cheesy and over the top but for the most part i think there's effort put into this to make it a little bit more grounded and believable and a little more emotionally resonant in a way that i really appreciated and like you said i think lana condor is that her yeah the character the actress's name yeah i thought she he really does a great job with this part i think and i also really appreciated the uh efforts that were put into here to make it have a little bit more korean representation I think that was really nice and sweet. I, I feel like you probably would agree with that as well. Uh, sure. It, it didn't stand out to you as much. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember going into this and some people were saying like, oh, wow, they explore more of like Lara Jean's backstory and her heritage. And I was like, no, it doesn't really. It's just kind of there. It's sort of I mean, in the background. Considering that the, it's not didn't, really. didn't like the Netflix like want to cast like a white woman for the first movie? Right. And they wisely were like, actually, that would be a terrible idea. Right. And it, it just seems like it feels like, a, you know, maybe maybe it was a little forced to do it, but it felt like it was nice. Like it, it felt like, you know, you don't often get to see scenes like that, like the New Year's party in like movies like this. And, you know, I appreciate that. So, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, I think one thing that this movie is sort of like I, I kind of wish that Susan Johnson had come back to direct because some of I sure. think that heightened sense that you're talking about comes from 
that direction. This one was directed by Michael Fimignari, who I'm just not as familiar with. Uh, he's he's a cinematographer, born, I think, for the first movie. Yeah, he he was born in Pittsburgh. And so, oh, yeah? I, you know. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing I know about him is that he's a cinematographer for the first one, born in Pittsburgh, and now he's directing the sequel. And that's why I think like the nice thing is this no movie still like has movie. the visual flair. But yeah, yeah, I felt like it was missing something. It was missing something from the first film. And I'm not still not sure, sure what it is. I'd have to think about it. I think it's just that that vision. I think it's like that point of view. Maybe it just felt like a little, a little bit more like studio mandated, I guess. Like it just felt like, you know, he was just kind of filling in for her. I'm a little suspicious, Will Ashen, because I don't think we've ever had the same grade for every film we've reviewed on an episode before. At least not like well, when it's multiple films. Yeah, like this. that is a little weird. It's concerning. Yeah. It's a little concerning. We're spending too much time together. Um, you're, you're stealing my opinions like Sonic stole Quicksilver's scene. I'm just waiting for you to drop the boot and fire me. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, okay. So I think it's time to get into spoilers. Before we do, Will, do you know what the third film is going to be called? Uh, like to in all, all the seriousness? boys now and forever. Mm, close. So it's or, to all the boys, colon, always and forever, comma, Lara Jean. Okay. So it's so, the end of the letter. <laughs> it's a lot. But that's the idea, right? It's like the first one was to all the boys I love before. P.S. I still love you. Always and forever, Wait, Lara Jean. Put- the PS before her signature? Yeah. That's weird. A little bit, yeah. You'd think it would be the last one, but whatever. Yeah, like PS, I still love not, you would be like the, yeah. It's called postscript, not midscript. Great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but all right, that is to all the boys, PS, I still love you. We're going to have a quick little spoiler section. Did she pick the right boy? And that starts right now. If you don't want to be spoiled on the movie and who she picks, go away. This is not for you. Will Ashton, did she pick the yeah. right boy? Um, I mean, who am I to say? <laughs> she, she's a young woman living her life. I can't, I can't make those decisions for her. I'm torn. I'm torn. I, um, yeah, I'm torn. I mean, I mean, I feel like I, I was more won over by John Ambrose just as like a character. But like you said, it feels like we didn't really get to know him much as like a hmm. person. We just saw like all his virtues. The flashbacks. Like maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he gets kind of petty. Like he, get, they, they seem to suggest that with the pizza thing. So Maybe, but, maybe we're not mean? seeing the, well, I mean, like he definitely has like a gripe about like, um, Peter taking all the pizza when they have like, uh, parties and stuff. And we saw that with the tree house. I mean, it makes sense. There is like a nice little thing of like, he's a little bit more polished in his manners. He's a little bit more, right. you know, like large jeans says at I mean, one like, point what, that like he, what happens when he like snaps, and he, like, gets mad <laughs> he's about not, something. like Thanos, he's just like. <laughs> All of, the, all of the Peters in the world just like disappear. Uh, I don't feel so good. Lord <laughs> <laughs> Jean, I don't feel so good. He does like that goofy <laughs> smile before. <it> just... <laughs> like he's dying, but he's still smiling like that weird smile. I think I think she does pick the right boy because I think what she has with Peter is a little bit more I think the point of the movie is that it's flawed and it's you know he's not perfect and there are things about him that she struggles with but there is like a real like chemistry in the now whereas her thing with John Ambrose is more based on nostalgia and it's based on like a childhood flash in the pan but that's that's the thing is like I I wish this movie like dabbled a little bit more with that of like kind of subverting some more of those 80 tropes of like the person that you had like a childhood crush on that being such a powerful thing when you're older where this movie's like Mm -hmm. nah you know sometimes you meet somebody later in life or like somebody you didn't you know 
expect, right? Somebody that there wasn't like this whirlwind romance, like Corey and Topanga or anything like that, that blossoms later in life. And like, there's a struggle between those two things. So I think she picked the right boy, but if she decides to dump Peter's ass in the next movie and go with John Ambrose, I'm not going to blink. I'm just going to. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just don't really want her to go with the neighbor kid. Oh yeah. (laughs) Mainly because I I, I associate him with Jessica Roth from happy death day. And I'm like, don't be, don't be cheating on um, Jessica Roth tree. Right. Um, yeah, especially because if you can't be with Jessica Roth, then... If I can't be with Jessica Roth, okay. <laughs> uh, who, can, who can meet those standards? Were you surprised he wasn't in this movie at all? Uh, I mean, not particularly. Didn't he, like, get in some trouble? Um, what kind of trouble are you talking about? I mean, I don't, I'm don't. i not one to really gossip, but, I mean, he, like, had some, like, tweets that were dug up. Yeah, okay, I know what you're talking about. He, he was saying stuff that was, like, anti-Black uh, Lives Matter. Oh, I didn't hear about that. No, I, I heard some just like yeah, that happened like after kind of vaguely like okay. That happened that one. after the release of the to all the boys I love before, and then the, there was a bunch of stuff he said. He he was talking about um. I, th- I heard like some like poor like poor taste jokes about Japanese people and like during a hurricane. Oh yeah 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 the the one the tsunami and all that. But then I think so. He said something about like yeah I won't say it, but something about yeah um, I was gonna say I don't really want to repeat them right. But, he also um, he's like liked tweets that were had to do with like Sandy Hook conspiracy theories and stuff and Oh really? Okay. I mean, eh, I don't I don't want to really gossip about this, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. But I I, th- I think it was because like he was his character wasn't in the second book. Like I hear he's only in the third one after this. Uh-huh. So he, so he's probably going to make a cameo in the next one. He has but I don't not- think he's credited. I don't think he's credited yet for being in the third one, Corin IMDb. So, I don't know. He he hasn't. Been, yeah, I don't think he's been casted in that. Uh, but yeah, I think it's already in post. Right, the third one's in post production. Is it? Uh, but it's coming out this year. I think. Like I think they're coming out back to back. What? It's too soon. I need a. I need more time. You need time the process. Well, you know, I need to have some more debates with people. Did she pick the right boy? Well, you know, life life comes at you fast, John. That'll do it for this week's episode of Cinemaholics. Uh, d- don't don't forget to weigh in on the big to all the boys debate. Did Lara Jean pick the right boy? Don't forget to spoiler alert your comments. And I know there's going to be hundreds about this very topic. So just, you know, let, let people know that there's spoilers in those parts. But uh, Will Ashton, thank you as always for agreeing with everything I have to say about movies and uh, stealing my grades and all that fun stuff. And uh, we'll see you next week to talk about Call of the Wild and Emma and whatever else comes our way. I haven't really checked anything that's coming out on streaming, so there might be a surprise in the works. And uh, um, yeah. Yeah, sounds good. We'll see you all next week from the internet, California, John Agroni. And for the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Wash. See you next time. Yeah.